All right, Ben, the Minnesota Vikings are back on the grass, as Kevin O'Connell likes to say. He's coaching his first full team practices as a 36-year-old rookie head coach. Minnesota Vikings are turning over a new leaf officially now that they are practicing. And we're going to talk about his approach as he takes over his first job, first head job in the NFL here in Minnesota. Um, we'll get to some stuff about this rookie draft class, last year's draft class as well, and what we can expect out of them. Um, talk a little bit about Irv Smith, his recovery expectations, Daniel Hunter's, Darius Smith bonding, planning dance moves out of the tunnel at U.S. Bank Stadium. Lots, um, lots of dance moves around <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings this week. What are the other ones? What am I missing? Uh, something on TikTok. Oh, my gosh. TikTok. Wow. I can't believe that I, that went right over my head. It's it, it's fine that it did. It, it's really not <laughs> worth your time. But, uh, yeah, it's just you know, something that popped up this week, something that drove by <laughs> something that drove by. I love that. Um, shot. <laughs> we've got, I'm so, done. I got them all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And good night. Um, now we've got some, we've also got some Twitter questions that we'll get to from listeners. Thank you for always sending those on Twitter. You can always email them to us as well. And those emails are at startribune.com. Um, all right, let's start with Kevin O'Connell. Coaching his first practices this week as the Vikings begin OTAs, which is basically just football without pads or collisions. Um, some different approaches that we've seen, both verbally and just seeing him out there running the team on the field. And I want to get to the first one of verbally what the message he's trying to send to this team. And we heard it earlier this offseason when he's talking to the combine owners meetings. He talked a lot about wanting to take ownership of the entire team, not wanting to be just known. And he reiterated this this week, not just known as an offensive head coach. Um, Eric Kendricks had a funny quip back to that. Mm -hmm. But Ben, what was your reaction as you hear him say this? Um, and obviously on the heels of what he was taking over from uh, for years here in Minnesota. Yeah. So we've heard him say this now this week and last week, right? Yeah, correct. And he also talked about it at the owners meetings. Um, this is not an accident that he is making this point. He is, I think, well aware of his audience. And he his audience in this case is not necessarily us or the public. His audience is for 90 guys in his locker room right now, I think. And it's specifically the ones who have been here in the past, specifically, I think, the ones on defense who have seen the way things were done in the past and are now worried that this will be the same thing. It's just that we're going to be on the other side of the coin. Not only will it be somebody that is only emphasizing one side of the ball, it won't be our side of the ball. So I think he is stressing this for very, very intentional reasons. I, he is, he was a communications major in college. He knows what he's doing when he says these things. And I think his point is, and we've seen it in practices too. It's not like he hasn't walked the talk so far. He's been, I think, kind of floating around. And Eric Hendricks says, yeah, he still wants to light us up in practice. He still wants to have his offense go move the ball and, and score on us. And that's, that's fine. But I do think he is saying these things because there was certainly the reputation for, I think, a lot of good reasons that Mike Zimmer was – more concerned with the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. And O'Connell is trying to send the message. It is not going to work that way here. I won't be like that. I am going to be the coach of everybody. So 
I think the fact that he's brought it up as much as he has and that he has talked about it in the manner that he has is very much for a purpose. And I think that purpose is to send a message to his roster. Yeah. And he's talked about trying to also learn the defensive schemes, concepts. So he understands what players are being asked to do, how he can step in then and uh, have feedback on what they're doing. And it's not just Mike Pettin, the assistant head coach or Ed Donatel, the defensive coordinator who are overseeing that defense. Uh, and then also trying to gain respect, as you mentioned, of guys like Harrison Smith, Daniel Hunter, Eric Kendricks, yeah. Pat, Patrick Peterson, veterans who have been here in the short term or the long term on that side of the ball. Um, Cause he doesn't have to worry about that, obviously on offense in terms of, you know, commanding that presence in front of the entire room. And he also brought up special teams as well, but that is a stark departure from where the Minnesota Vikings were under Mike Zimmer, where it was, you know, as Ben, you would heard and reported on it. He was Mike Zimmer wasn't even particularly interested in sitting in on some of the uh, interview processes for offensive coordinators. It was just, yeah. well, we'll hire whoever and bring them in and it's their job now. Um, for as long that, as they have it. And that exactly. Uh, Cause they went through so many of them. And, and that, that the particular one that I'm referencing there was a very short and very tumultuous uh, process, starting with a very short interview. John and, Diefel, of course. Yeah. And, and that coming off of, and really coming off of the heels of that NFC championship game appearance and, and with Kirk cousins. And that just set off the tone for the Kirk cousins era of Mike Zimmer and what was really a rift between um, the locker room and, and, coaching staff and, and players between offense and defense um, and Mike Zimmer being unable to bring those two sides together very frequently. Now this is a little bit different, whether it's Kirk Cousins or even Kellen Mond. I saw during the OTA that we got to see this week, um, I saw Kevin O'Connell talking to Kellen Mond more in one day, more than I saw Mike Zimmer talking to him in the entire year they were together last year. Um, and he, Kevin was asked about Mond afterward, but the point being in that he's taking an active interest in obviously developing a quarterback on in his specialty, his side of the ball, and one that just never really seemed to have much of a chance under the previous regime uh, as a rookie. And so that'll be interesting to see in the backup quarterback realm. But that was just one example showing Kevin trying to seemingly take an active interest in everybody uh, as he kind of gets his feet wet as a head coach here uh, in the NFL. Uh, what do you think, Ben, are some of his biggest challenges? Because we heard from Eric Kendricks talk about how, and you wrote about this, how he, Eric didn't seem too interested in, you know, relitigating the past. And yeah. him, him talking about the fear-based organization, not wanting it run that way in January, right after they fired Mike Zimmer. Eric's relationship admittedly being frayed with Mike Zimmer by the end of it. Um what do you think are Kevin O'Connell's biggest challenges here as he tries to lead this organization, not just offense, into a new direction here? Um, is it getting all those veterans defensively on the same page um, with him? Or, I mean, what do, you, what do you think and what do you see as his biggest task here moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of it. I, I think you have a defense that in some ways it is as fraught as the one that Mike Zimmer took over when he replaced Leslie Frazier. In terms of the performance the last two years on the field, you can make the case that they're right back where they were. You also have a defense that is not as much of a blank slate as that one was when Mike Zimmer took over. You still have guys like Daniil Hunter, Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks, 
Dalvin Tomlinson to some degree who are under high price contracts. And you have another guy in Patrick Peterson who, while not under a high price contract, certainly has equity based on what he has done in the NFL in the past. So you have a lot of guys to mold into a new scheme and a lot of players with a lot of time in the league that you have to get on your side, even if some of those players are maybe on the back nine of their career. And you can make the case that Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, maybe Zadarius Smith are all in that boat. Um, Daniel Hunter has a lot to prove after being hurt for the better part of two years. So I think getting that defense to work, finding the way to make a scheme that has been very successful around the NFL, which means it also has been taught a lot and practiced against a lot and studied a lot. You now have to get your group up to speed and executing that scheme. Well, when a lot of teams around the league spend a lot of time either practicing against it because their defense is running it or because they're going to face it a lot, whether it's the chargers, the Rams, the Packers run this now, uh, certainly the Broncos have anybody that has had Vic Fangio, as their defensive coordinator or head coach has been doing this. So you've had the 49ers have pieces of this over the years, the bears, this is kind of the equivalent of the Sean McVay scheme, which the Vikings are running on offense, which means everybody is running this or practicing against it. And you now have to get guys up to speed to execute that well enough to overcome the fact that a people are working around the clock on how to beat it. And B you have a number of guys who are not, 24 and coming into the primes of their careers. So I think that is a challenge. I think getting the most out of Kirk Cousins is probably the biggest challenge, but um, all of this kind of comes under the umbrella of this approach that they have very clearly taken of, we think we can win if you can just get more out of these guys and connect with them better than Mike Zimmer did over the last two years. And maybe that's just the bet for this year because it's a cheaper thing to do than blow the whole roster sky high. But that seems to be what they're banking on is that he can be the, the missing link that turns all of these pieces into the best possible versions of themselves, as we've heard uh, Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Adolfo Mensa talk about this offseason. Yeah, and they're, they're clearly banking on coaching being one of the yeah. biggest differences. And, and whether that's the actual X's and O's coaching or just the leadership and getting the best out of the current guys, as you mentioned with Kirk um, and a lot of these defenders, there was few defenses worse than the Vikings, especially uh, against the pass uh, in critical moments than the Vikings the past couple of years under Mike Zimmer. And so that's why they they make those investments in the secondary. They draft Lewis Seen, they draft Andrew Booth, they draft a cover linebacker and Brian Osimo in the third round. Um, We'll get to those draft classes of the last two years and and kind of what we see in them. But uh, to segue of what you were just mentioning about the defense, um, it's got to start up front, right? Like, cause they've got, you mentioned Dalvin Tomlinson. They obviously signed Harrison Phillips to replace Michael Pierce at nose. They transition to that five wide front, three, four front. Um, that'll be four down when they go into their often used nickel stuff. But with Zadarius Smith joining Daniel Hunter, they basically need them to be Daniel and Everson Griffin, of, yep. if, if not better of the 2019 team that beat the saints on the road of the 2017 team that was so good on defense, number one in the NFL. Um, they need to find a way to have that front be that good to help that back end. Because what I guess we maybe haven't talked about enough of is that 
when their secondaries have been so poor the last few years, a big part of it too is that they're not generating consistent pressure with the front four. It's, it was Mike Zipper's blitz schemes, getting them all these sacks and, and ranking them up as high or, you know, scheming uh, DJ Wanham untouched for the five or whatever sacks he got last year. Um, when I look at this roster under the Wilfs super competitive edict, I don't know how else they're going to do it defensively unless it's this front really dominating. Yeah. I mean, the other piece of it, I think you'll see more of an emphasis on is takeaways. I mean, that was never really a big focus for Mike Zimmer and that you can live and die with that. I mean, we've seen Ed Donatel's defenses do that over the years. Um, Certainly when he was in green Bay, that was a lot of the focus. And and I think, you know, over the years in Dallas and, and, and Denver, you've seen some of that as well. Turnovers are great. If you can get them, they, Mike Zimmer's contention was always, if you get two picks and you get beat four other times and everybody's talking about the two picks, that's not a good day. You need to be able, I mean, the edict from Mike Zimmer was always, don't let your guy catch the ball. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, we all like the interceptions. It's very easy to get enamored with those, but if you're getting burned, uh, it doesn't help. So Turnovers can mask some of those problems and and turnovers can change games. But I think turnovers also have to come from the pass rush. You are going to get those if quarterbacks are throwing off platform, if they are feeling rushed because there's a defender in their face. The bet has always been, it was with Mike Zimmer, and I think probably will be here, that we can get to your quarterback before your quarterback has time to pick apart our defensive backfield. And I think, you know, really across the NFL – it's hard to cover when a quarterback has time to sit there or when a quarterback can extend plays like you'll see from the guy they face in week one. I mean, we've seen that over the years where even on days where Mike Zimmer's defense is getting the best of Aaron Rodgers, he can get out of the pocket and make a couple plays and it's a different game. So um, you have to win up front. Your, your front seven has to be good enough to affect the quarterback in this day and age, because these quarterbacks are too good. They're too accurate. They're too good at making plays off schedule for the most part that if you don't get home and affect them, you're going to have a long day. Do you think they might look back on it and in, in choosing, obviously, Darius Smith, great, you know, free agent signing, uh, something they really, really needed, even with keeping to Hunter. But do you think they might look back on it and think, you know, boy, we wish we had some more depth at, at those spots at, at the edge rusher spot, because it's basically just those two guys right yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, I, it's going to be interesting to see if, if one of those two goes down and you know, that that's a reasonable, yeah, a reasonable possibility based on the last couple of years. I don't know where the pass rush comes from. I mean, DJ Wanham, like you mentioned, the sacks have been kind of the hustle plays where he's, you know, the, the one against Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago that ended the game was after five and a half, six seconds. It's not the I'm getting home in two and a half, beating a tackle and getting to the quarterback before he has time to go through his progressions or at least get to the top of the drop and get rid of the ball. Um, you need somebody else to be able to get home and affect the quarterback, especially if those two guys, if one of them gets hurt or you don't want to play them for 950 snaps a year. I mean, you have to find somebody else to be able to create some of that pressure, whether it's DJ Wanham, uh, Armand Watts, maybe. 
I, I think we've seen flashes from him. I'm going to be curious to see if he starts in that, that five technique spot, um, what they get from him. I, but yeah, I don't quite know where else it comes from. I mean, you, you'll get the, the occasional sacks from Eric Hendricks, Jordan Hicks, but yeah, they're, they're really banking on Hunter and Smith providing most of it with not a lot behind them. So yeah, I, I think that remains a concern. I think, you know, guys like, you know, if they get anything out of a guy like James Lynch, a guy like Troy Dye, and I'm not saying they're you're going to have either of these guys turn into the solution, but they really could use somebody from that group uh, to, to break through and just provide something of a contribution. And I, I think you're writing about it a little bit, and uh, I think Chip Scoggins writing about it a little bit in terms of some of these younger players, but that that draft class last year didn't give them a lot and they could they could use a uh, a bigger contribution from some of those players as well i mean patrick jones would be another guy that we didn't see much of last year that if you can get something out of him that would be a big bonus even going back to three years to 2020's draft um or three drafts back i should say um they could use a kj osborne like emergence on defense just from somebody <laughs> whether yeah you mentioned lynch die i'm looking down the list right now kenny willikis was a seventh round pick there uh, he's playing now more of that stand-up edge rusher role. Go to 2021. You've got Patrick Jones, as you mentioned, the third-round pick from, from last year, Janarius Robinson, the fourth-round pick last year who had a season-ending injury. So this is basically a rookie year for him uh, coming out in a new defensive scheme. Um, and this year, they, they just get the uh, Gophers defensive lineman who's really not much of an edge rusher in the NFL, but more of a defensive tackle. So for the edge rusher stuff, it's going to have to be somebody from the 2020 or 2021 draft class that emerges. And I do think DJ Wanham, who was in that 2020 class, I do think he's a fit for this three, four outside linebacker because he played it at South Carolina. I just don't know how good he's going to be as an effective pass rusher. And so if it is Willikis, if it is Robinson, Patrick Jones, problem is that these guys were drafted to fit a completely different scheme. And so how are they going to transition uh, into this new scheme under Ed Donatel? It's a big question mark. It's a big question mark to see if they can emerge and be that guy. Um, and, or if DJ Wanham just takes that next step from learning behind guys like Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith, that would certainly help as well. But then when you look at, let's look at first that 2021 draft class. Obviously Christian Darrisaw is going to be the starting left tackle. Then you've got Kellen Mond, Chaz Surratt, the linebacker, Wyatt Davis, Patrick Jones, Kenny Wongwu, Cam Bynum, Janarius Robinson, Amir Smith-Marset, the tight end Zach Davidson, and then the defensive tackle Jalen Twyman. So where do you see, I guess, somebody emerging from that group? We did see Bynum make some plays last year. He was basically the only guy yeah. from that group, and Wongwu obviously on special teams. Um, but I guess when you go down the, that list, who do you see playing much of a factor here in 2022? Well, I mean, I, I think guys that you would hope would be a factor, Patrick Jones, like I mentioned, and uh, Janarius Robinson, there was a lot of chatter about him last year as, and people do this too much. Uh, Daniel Hunter light, you know, you, you're not going to have every sort of, lanky lean pass rusher turned into Daniel Hunter. It just doesn't happen that much, but there's, I think hopes that he can give you something. I, I think seeing something from him would be helpful. Um, 
so I really, those two would be the first ones I'd look at. I think, um, you know, Jalen Twyman, we didn't see much of last year. And if they can get something from him, I think they were excited about the pass rush possibilities there too, but we have to see, um, you know, is their expectation in him? Is their hope in him real? So, um, yeah, those would be the ones I'd look at first. I think is can that group of pass rushers give you something? And boys, that third round looked like just a bunch of sunk costs right now. Yeah, it sure <laughs> does. Between Mon, Surratt, Wyatt Davis, who they've buried on the depth chart, because they got Jesse Davis, the ex-Dolphins guard tackle, and Chris Reed, the former Colts guard. They've got those two veterans uh, swapping series and OTAs here at that open right guard spot. And they took yeah. Ed Ingram. And they took, yeah, good point. And they took Ed Ingram, another second round uh, for the sixth straight year. They took an offensive lineman in the first, second, or third round. They're just going to keep throwing bodies at him. Keep flinging them in there, as Rick once said. (laughs) See if something works out. But basically, they are not banking on Wyatt Davis doing much. They signed Sean Mannion back to not have to bank on Kellen Mond doing much. Um, Chaz Surratt, they had another linebacker in Brian Osamoa to that group to not have to bank on him doing much. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, one replacement after another one option after another to bury last year's four third round picks uh, that were Rick Spielman's last draft class in Minnesota. Um, I would hope that with Kenny Wongwu and Kevin O'Connell, and I know they got cook and Madison, but I would hope that they find a way to, get him involved, whether it's as a gadget player, if he's not, you know, the kind of reliable three down back that you want at this point, wouldn't you like to see his speed used on the field just in creative ways? Well, yeah. And we saw them do some different things with Dalvin cook yesterday. I would think you would do the same things with Kenny Wongwu because his speed is elite. And we saw it last year. If you can get him in space, and you know we talk about this all the time, he does special things with the ball in his ball in his hands when he's in space. To use all of the football cliches, but yeah, I would expect they would look at a guy like that and say, if we can involve him, it's going to change our offense. I mean, even the, the times where we saw him on the field last year, he can make things happen pretty quickly. I feel like there were a couple of jet sweeps and and different things where he would pop off 10, 12 yards and. Didn't touch the ball a lot offensively, but I would think there'd be a little more creativity beyond, no, we don't do that. You know, that's, that's not something we do. Um, I, I would think a guy like that with the, the speed he has would probably be turned loose a little more this year than we saw last season. You would hope so. Not the days of drafting Cordero Patterson and saying, we're going to make him a split end like Norv Turner so desperately wanted to do year year after year going into training camp being like, is this the year that he can run a post route? Nope, it's not. Well, and the funny thing there, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on that, but (laughs) the template, and and we all kind of went along with it at the time, but in retrospect, we probably should have pushed on that issue more. And I I suppose we did at times and it was kind of dismissed by those who know more football than we do. But um the template for Cordero Patterson had already been laid out. It wasn't like there wasn't a rookie season where you saw exactly where he could excel already on the tape in the NFL. You weren't taking a guy from college and saying, well, can these concepts work in the NFL? We had seen in 2013 under Bill Musgrave calling the plays that they could. And then they just kind of said, nah, we, that's not how Michael Irvin did it. 
so we aren't going to use him that way and uh uh you know you've, you've seen since then he's i mean he's still in the nfl he's still productive and heading into his 30s so not probably the bet i would have made frankly the way he looked and the way he left minnesota but other teams have said <laughs> there are unique things you can do with this guy and let's not let convention keep us from doing those things so yeah you'd hope that a different offensive staff may look at a player like Kenny Wongwu and, and see a different use for him. I believe it took one, two, it was Cordero's third team in the Patriots who finally used him at running back. And then the Falcons found out, Hey, he can be uh, the equivalent of a 30 point score on a bad NBA team for us. And we'll just give him the ball a bunch of times yeah. out of the backfield. And it worked out pretty well for him. Yeah. Uh, and he's, yeah, he's, he's really good with the ball in his hands. So who would have thought, um, I think it was Mike Zimmer who had mentioned too at one point, like, yeah, we, you know, we really messed that one up. But when he says we, yeah, he did say that. When he says we, he means my offensive North. staff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, what any other impressions did, did you have at all of the 20 this year's draft class, 2022? We're talking about seeing Booth, Ingram, Osamoa, anything we've saw or heard from coaches or players for that matter about this group. Uh, you had asked O'Connell actually yesterday about um, his philosophy on not putting those guys in yeah. with the starters right away. Cause we didn't, obviously we didn't even see Lewis seen with that first team defense yet. Yeah. And he said, you know, we, we will throw them in for a rep or two at times somewhat just to see how they do and see how they take it. So, I mean, in the part of the reason I asked that question was let's kind of establish a baseline here. Cause we all, uh, we all do this, this time of year where it's, Oh, this guy was running with the ones. Does that mean he's going to push the start? Maybe, maybe not. And I mean, Mike Zimmer, I think was usually the philosophy was I'm not going to hold rookies back, but I'm also going to make them earn it. I'm not going to just throw them in there right away. I'm going to take them through the crash course on defense. If they can handle it, I'm not going to hold them back. See Anthony Barr, but I'm also not going to force it. See Trey Waynes. So I'm curious to see how that goes. I think they so far. And maybe it's just talk. We'll see once things happen for real. But they seem very impressed with how Lewis Seen handles himself and how he approaches the game to this point. So I'm curious how that goes. I think Andrew Booth is going to be a big part of how this season goes. Does he get healthy in time? Can he pick up the position in time? Because I think it's a different story with that secondary if you have him and he's effective in year one. So, um, the, I mean, those would be the two that I would watch the most. I'm also curious about Brian Osamoa and how they use him, because I, I think that is kind of one of those hybrid pieces, probably in a dime package that you could do some different things with. I, I think we are going to see more personnel groups with this defense, more sub packages than we saw in the past. They, they didn't really do a ton of that under Mike Zimmer. You'd see the occasional wrinkles, but it was not, all of these different packages like you see from different, I mean, seeing a dime look from them was almost never. So I think there could be guys that carve out roles defensively with, you know, 12, 15, 18 snaps a game that still do something valuable. And Brian Osamoa may be one of those guys in that type of role. Yeah, it looked, it was a rare sight for the Mike Zimmer defense to all of a sudden see three safety packages yeah. with, them dropping Harrison Smith down into a nickel role, putting Cam Bynum on the field and really only finding out that Cam Bynum could play because Harrison Smith tested positive for COVID. 
Uh, and then they went, oh boy, this kid's pretty good. We should keep him on the field, which, I mean, that happens so frequently in, across the NFL, but it seemed to happen quite a bit with the old regime. Um, and Cam Bynum's somebody, I think too, we could see on the field in those sub packages this year. Um, and when they're mixing in seeing Harrison Smith and then Bynum as that third safety or nickel guy or, or back end guy as, as maybe seen or Harrison drop into the box. Uh, Channon Sullivan, the ex-Packers slot corner is presumably the unchallenged nickel corner for this group, because that's what he looked like in OTAs. I didn't see anybody else taking those snaps. Um, you mentioned Andrew Booth. Yeah. Without him, uh, Cameron Dantzler is that starting outside corner and Cameron Dantzler for all that he is, he's very different seemingly than Booth or seen, or these guys that they drafted this year. And we got a question about this, about kind of the focus on speed on defense. Um, Dancer is not the same in terms of just his mentality and how he plays. He doesn't seem to play with the same aggressiveness, the same downhill, hard hitting. I mean, that's what Booth, that's what seen, especially those two guys showed in college, which I think, you know, the football guys use the term dog, a guy who really gets in there and is not afraid to crash downhill and knock a guy out. And that seemed to be what they were looking for. They seem to be looking for bigger guys who could also cover, but also have that ability to help in run defense, run support, run after the catch support in ways that we just didn't really see from this previous secondary outside of, you know, Harrison Smith. Um, so I, I think that seems to be a marked change under this defense. It's like, Hey, yeah, we might be playing a lot more nickel and dime, which means we might be getting run at yeah. a lot in those sub packages. And so we need guys who can, who can tackle. And if it's Cameron dancer there, I just don't know if they should have a ton of confidence that that's the kind of mentality or guy they can get it done with. I would agree with that. I don't know that Dantzler is going to be the type that you look at and say um, run support is going to be a key part of his game. I and mean, we, we've seen him get hurt over the last couple of years. We, we have not seen him be as physical of a corner as his size. I mean, at least his, his height <clears throat> would indicate that he can be. I mean, the nickname, the needle. He, you know, kind of plays on the fact that he's small, he's slight, he's skinny, but that is something that may put him at a disadvantage if you are trying to, to run at him and he has to be the force player on the, the perimeter of the defense. I, I think Andrew Booth and Lewis Seen probably give you a little bit of a different look there. And I, yeah, I think they are going to get run on if they are in the dime and, and in the nickel a little bit more often, which they probably will be because we've seen teams around the NFL do that where the base set, and I think this is going to be true for the Vikings becomes 11 personnel. So you, I mean, you hear teams like the Vikings of the past talk about, well, if we can get people in heavy sets, we can throw on them and they're having linebackers that have to cover our tight ends. That is certainly an effective approach at times. A lot of teams have gone the other way and said, if we can get you in sub packages where we spread you out, we can run on you because you have, corners and safeties that aren't as big as the linebackers and can't wrap up and tackle as effectively. So they are going to have to figure that out. And a guy like Dantzler is probably going to have to pull his weight there a little bit more if he's going to be effective, which is, I, I think Andrew Booth, if he is healthy and he can play, my assumption would be they're going to want him to start. I, I think he'll get plenty of runway to try to win that job. But the first thing is he has to show that he's recovered from that surgery and, and ready to go. 
Yeah, he was still doing some rehab work off to the side as he comes off uh, his second core muscle surgery in as many years to fix a hernia issue that he played through in college. He also had a quad injury this past year and has a history of knee issues. So as we talked about after the draft, that's one guy where the it seems to be quite the risk-reward kind of draft pick. Um, and seeing him on the field for the Vikings would obviously be would be good for them just to see if the kid can play in the NFL. Um, speaking of being on the field, Irv Smith Jr., we saw him running routes for the first time this offseason in OTAs. They were holding him out of the seven-on-seven stuff where the DBs kind of press him more and they kind of get after it a little bit more. But he was taking part in the 11-on-11 full team drills where they're walking through the entire offense. Uh, we did see him running some routes at seemingly full speed aside from the rehab work he is doing. Uh, Kevin O'Connell was asked this week, what are his expectations? Does he expect Irv Smith to be the immediate contributor uh, for this offense? And Kevin didn't hesitate in saying yes, uh, that they really view him as having the desired skill set to be a featured part of this offense. And so when you talk about, obviously, the three-headed you know, monster in the skill positions between Jefferson, Thiel, and Cook, uh, Smith, presumably, if you're the Vikings, you want him to be kind of that fourth prong that you can kind of get out there and, and find those mismatches that Kevin O'Connell talks about so much. So Ben, I guess it was a good sign for the Vikings that Irv is now taking those steps and being on the field. Now it's just seeing, can he handle this new offense and, and be that guy that everybody thought he could be when they took him in the second round? Yeah. And I think he's a, a big key to this. We got a couple of questions about the tight end group behind him. And I, you know, there's not a player there that I would look at and say, this guy is, is primed for a breakout type of role. I mean, they are very much hoping that Irv Smith is going to be back and going to be a big contributor. I mean, they are set up really, especially without Tyler Conklin on the roster, they're going to need that. So I think him doing what he's been able to do so far is a good sign. I would expect, I mean, with a meniscus, it shouldn't be the kind of thing that lingers into a second season. But, I mean, you never know that until you see a guy come back. I mean, it's easy for me to say that. It's not my meniscus. Um, so you kind of have to wait and see a little bit. But I, it's not one where it's like an ACL that you would expect it's some major structural repair. And you have to take it extremely slow with him for a little while to before you can even get him on the field. It's If you clean it up, repair the, the meniscus, it should be something where he's able to get back out there. So... I think that's the good sign with him. But yeah, I, if you don't have him playing a big role at tight end, I'm not quite sure where the production is going to come from in that spot. And you are going to need that because Joshua Jefferson's going to get a lot of attention. Adam Thielen has been effective, but Adam Thielen turns 32 here in you know a couple of months. And I think is still going to be effective, but is he going to be the game-breaking type of receiver that he has shown he can be at times? You know, maybe not quite to the 100th percentile of what he's done in the past. And K.J. Osborne, I think, is going to continue to get better, but um, you are going to need contributions from more than just those two guys, I think, given the amount of attention Justin Jefferson is going to get. So, yes, Irv Smith being a guy that, plays a major role, especially in the middle of the field, uh, is a big development for them if they can get it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much they do with him right out of the gate because he's a guy who in college, and only when they drafted him, they viewed him as 
very much this kind of move tight end, but yep. also a guy who had played in the backfield, played yes. basically an H-back role at Alabama and could be a lead blocker, could be an inline blocker. How much do they lean on him there? Or do they use Johnny Munt, who was basically that role for the Rams, yep. who was the new number two tight end here in Minnesota? He's coming off an ACL, much more significant knee injury uh, from last year. And so we saw him get involved a little bit in OTAs, but his recovery seems to be behind where Irv is at right now. If he's healthy enough, if they decide to use CJ Ham in those roles, is Irv going to be more of that kind of move mismatch receiving option as opposed to this three down kind of tight end option? That, that'll be interesting to see as well. They've talked CJ Ham up a lot. I mean, you know, Kevin O'Connell has, has uh, been very, very complimentary of CJ Ham in the few months he's been on the job. So, that, I mean, that's been interesting to hear. So, I, I think. By this point, especially the fact that they didn't touch his contract when they could have, he's certainly in their plans. I don't think a guy like that would be on the roster if he was not slated for a significant role. So I think you're right. I, I think Ham is going to still have a big role on this offense, and maybe that does free Irv Smith up to do some different things. Um, I thought O'Connell was interesting during the film session that we had talked to. Uh, he sat down with a bunch of reporters, did some on-the-record stuff, some off-the-record stuff. But just in general, you got the sense from this front office and coaching staff that they view like having a two-back set on offense can be much more of a mismatch for a defense than just having two tight ends or some different version of heavier personnel. Um, Kevin was speaking from an offensive coach's perspective that he's less willing um, to, or he's more willing, excuse me, to run out of two-back sets than necessarily just two tight end personnel and how that can force defenses to play you more honestly than sometimes just having two tight ends in the game. Um, and yeah, that'll just be interesting to see how they use CJ. It certainly seems like they're going to lean on him pretty heavily, not just on special teams, but on this offense. Um, CJ is not going to go away with the Kubiaks as maybe previously, <laughs> previously thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a guy that you would have thought, okay, this is kind of a relic of the Mike Zimmer era that the fact they're still going to use a fullback, but it's worth pointing out that, not every piece of the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan offense is, I mean, it gets kind of characterized as this bombs away, 11 personnel throw it all the time. It's, it's not that, I mean, the 49ers are the only team in the league that uses a fullback more than the Vikings have. And Kyle Juszczyk is a guy they use for a lot of different things. Obviously George Kittle is a big part of what they do. They are not, they're content to just run the ball on you a lot. And I think there are pieces of that philosophy. And, and we've seen that with the Rams at times too, certainly when they had Todd Gurley, probably more so, but they play a lot of stuff where they'll, they'll run from tight formations, getting Cooper cup involved as a run blocker has been a big thing they've done. I'm curious to see how much of that we see from Adam Thielen, because he's been willing to do it and has been fairly good at it. Um, it is more wear and tear for a 32 year old receiver, if you, if you put him in that type of a role, but yeah, I, I don't think that, I mean, 11 personnel is probably going to be the base set. You're going to see more of that than we have in the past, but the idea that they're just going to be in shotgun all the time, and it's going to be three and four receivers and throwing 45 times a game. I wouldn't expect that. I think both with the personnel they kept and with some of the subtler gradations of this offense that we see from other teams around the league that have run it and had a lot of success with it. You're not just going to see it become throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it all the time. 
All right, let's get to some mailbag questions here to wrap it up. Uh, we addressed a lot of them already. Um, Nate had asked about the tight end group that we got to. Dustin wanted to know about first or second year players who would get a lot of playing time. Uh, Vike fan from Kansas wanted to know about the speed and mind on defense and safeties and all that stuff. And I think we addressed a lot of that, but I want to get to some that we didn't talk to, uh, talk about at this point. Uh, Eric wants to know, I got this in an email. He wants to know, um, did the Vikings find themselves in a more wide open NFC North? Uh, talking about the Bears rebuilding, their entire defensive line leaving, the Packers losing Devontae Adams uh, and replacing him with the Vikings' help. Um, what what do you see, Ben, from this NFC North in terms of the movement personnel-wise? Yeah, I mean, the big question for me is who is catching the ball in Green Bay and who earns Aaron Rodgers' trust? Because they have a lot of young receivers there that – may have to go through the, the Aaron Rodgers gauntlet a little bit before they earn his trust. We have seen that over the years where if you are not in the right spot, if you are not exactly where he wants you, when he wants you there, he can, I mean, you, we've all seen it on TV. You become the recipient of the looks or the comments that are not that hard to lip read at times. Um, and sometimes you get frozen out of the offense. I mean, we have certainly seen that over the years where he leans on Devontae Adams almost to a fault. What is it going to look like now when he does not have Devontae Adams there? Does that liberate him a little bit? Or does he, in what I think has been his fatal flaw, become so stubborn that it sets their offense back? I, I don't quite know the answer to that. I think that's one of the big questions in the division because their defense – was certainly not the reason they lost that playoff game. They, they looked awfully good on that cold night against the 49ers. Their special teams was the main reason, and Rodgers probably being a little reluctant to you know hit wide receivers open running over the middle of the field rather than force it to Devontae Adams. But I, I think the question with them is more on offense than their defense because they, they have continued to add to that defense. I think that defense is going to be pretty good. Again, if they find enough ways to score – they're still the favorite in the division, but I think the Vikings you probably look at as the number two team. I'm curious to see what happens with the lions. If I mean, they, cause they, they had a better final month of the year and it's always a little bit dangerous to extrapolate too much from that, but it seems like they bought into Dan Campbell and a guy like Jamison Williams being there. Can they open up their offense up a little bit with him? Um, you know, what does that team look like in year two of the Dan Campbell regime? And then, yeah, the, the Bears are kind of the wild card. New front office, do they buy Justin Fields? That defense is not what it was. I If I had to rank it right now, I'd go Packers, Vikings, Lions, Bears probably. Um, a little bit of a twist on the what the, the rankings have been for the last few years. But yeah, it's probably maybe a little more wide open in the sense that you have the standard bear in the division with questions to answer and – the Lions maybe not looking like the team in the division that has the most to figure out. I really like the Lions offense outside of the most important position in sports. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he, uh, he came through against the Vikings the last time we saw him. That, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's not a high bar to clear with that defense. I, I grant that. But Speaking of our guy, Cameron Dantzler, that is true. But <laughs> yeah. It's quite the ending uh, in Detroit last David year. Woods probably too. Oof. Um, 
And yeah, but when you look at just the depth chart of Detroit, Jamison Williams joining Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Chark at wide receiver. They got yeah. DeAndre Swift at running back, TJ Hawkinson at tight end. They got two good tackles and Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell, Frank Ragnow at center. Um, Jamal Williams, the former Packers backup running back is their backup running back. Um, I, I really think they've got a strong offense yeah. around a very mediocre to below average quarterback. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? I don't know if they've got the coaching or the quarterback to do much, but I think they're not going to be that kind of what they were under Matt Patricia, which was just an automatic win yeah. each time you face them. And the bears seem to have become that because they've shipped yeah. out everybody. Akeem Hicks yeah, is still yeah. a free agent. Khalil Mack got traded away. Eddie Goldman got cut. Uh, that whole defensive line that destroyed the Vikings every time they played them is entirely gone. Yeah. And, and then you've just got Justin Fields and the question marks around him. So yeah. I just, I don't see how Chicago's not, not only the worst team in the division, but probably one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Detroit, I'm, I'm very curious to see. It will probably mean in vintage Lions fashion that they win like six games and are picking 11th in what's supposed to be a very good quarterback draft. Yeah. That's, yeah. And then they'll miss out on the top guys. So, yeah, that's probably about what will happen. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. Um, all right. I got another question here from Jared wants to know, are the Vikings set at wide receiver? What do you guys think of the options behind Thielen and Jefferson? Um I think KJ Osborne kind of showed last year that he's wide receiver three. Oh yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see them hurting at that spot. And I find it interesting that we saw BC Johnson mixing in there a little bit in OTAs. And then you've got obviously Amir Smith, Marset. those seem to be the five. I don't, unless somebody just surprises a la KJ Osborne in training camp, I don't know who is going to kind of insert themselves as another option. I mean, you know, a guy like Jalen Naylor, rookie sure. track guy. Um, <laughs> sure, I shouldn't you know, Maybe he carves out a role. Dan Shisena, uh, another track guy, should should mention him as well. I mean, there's there's speed there from those track guys. So maybe there's something. But, yeah, I, I would think you're probably looking at the guys you mentioned. I, I, I do think K.J. Osborne became – one of the more important revelations for this offense last year, because he very clearly earned cousins trust. He became a guy cousins could look to in tough situations when Jefferson was not open uh, or Thielen was not open. And I think that's a big deal because cousins is not, we've seen it over and over and over. He's not the guy that says, forget it. I know Jefferson's double covered, but I trust my arm and I trust him to go make plays when he's double covered. I, I don't think, as we talk about Rogers almost doing that to a fault cousins, I think at times almost avoids that option to a fault. So you have to have other guys that can get open when he is so systematic as he goes through his progressions. If one's not open, I go to two. If two's not open, I go to three. I don't care who one and two are. If they're not open, I'm not throwing the ball there. So you need good number three options to go with one and two. And I think KJ Osborne's emergence is a, big deal. And I think if he continues to grow, it will be a big deal again. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be hurting there too much. Maybe they do see the upside of, of a Jalen Naylor being worth okay. ca- carrying on the roster more than BC Johnson, for instance, who is just not a track, not a track guy, more of a solid option as opposed to a game breaking option for you at wide receivers. So maybe there's a kind of switch there. I'm interested to see what Amir Smith Marset does in his second year. 
um, especially with the creative coaching that you would expect under Kevin O'Connell. Uh, so that'll be interesting to watch as well. We got another question here from Ryan wants to know, do you expect additional changes in the front office or personnel department? What are your guys' thoughts on the Demetrius Washington hire as the director of football operations and how may that affect roles and responsibilities in the front office? Uh, the Vikings did hire Demetrius Washington, who was Quasi Adolfo Mensa's uh, underling, basically. I think Quasi had a hand in hiring him in San Francisco. Yep as an R&D analyst over there, he kind of rose in the ranks in San Francisco, uh, very much like Quasey. And then Quasey hires him here in Minnesota in the role that Quasey had in Cleveland. So it seems like he's kind of pegged Demetrius Washington as somebody, an MBA finance major, somebody who you could see uh, very much like Quasey in that rise. So Ben, what did you yeah. think about that hire? Yeah, it, it's an interesting hire. And I, I think the fact that they gave him the role that they did, where he's basically, you look at the masthead on their website, which I it's worth looking at these things of who is slated where. He is at the top of the football department. He is over Ryan Monins, Jamal Stevenson, who had a hand in hiring Quasey Adolfo Mensa for the GM job. They were part of the search committee. So Demetrius Washington is the top name in the football department, the player personnel department is how you'll see it on their website. It's worth paying attention to that. So it tells you that he is going to have a big role. Ryan Grigson certainly is the, the scouting side of things from the traditional background that will have, I think, a, a fairly large platform with the GM. I, I think Demetrius Washington will as well, probably more from an analytics side of things. So there is, there's definitely more work being done to get, more analytically data-driven thinkers in the front office. And I, I think that's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out. But um, I would not be surprised if there are other additions along those lines. <clears throat> I do think how it affects roles and responsibilities in the front office. I, I think you are going to have probably more work to do to kind of make this whole thing work as one cohesive unit when you have people from fairly starkly different backgrounds in the front office because they, they kept all of the scouts. This is still a very traditional scouting forward operation in a lot of places in the front office. These are guys that worked for Rick Spielman for years, worked for George Payton for years, died in the wool scouts. Ryan Grigson is that as well. So you have that. And then you have guys like Quasi Adolfo Mensa, like Demetrius Washington that come from an analytics background and are going to make a lot of decisions based on that. So it all works fine if you you have kind of this team of rivals concept or these different ideas that you can pull together. I think the tricky thing is if one side starts to disparage the other or distrust the other or you know feel like one set of inputs is outweighing the other, I think trying to keep all of that in a cooperative, collaborative uh, to use the buzzword environment is going to be a lot of the key to this. And the buzzword I believe they used in Cleveland with Andrew Barry and Quasi was alignment and getting everybody aligned under these thoughts of yeah. this is how we're doing things in an analytic data-driven evidence-based uh, notion. And Quasi now is to Andrew Barry, what Demetrius was to Quasi in Cleveland as they structured this front office differently and Ryan Grigson, as you mentioned, being that kind of traditional scouting uh, guy who's got Quasi's ear, 
uh, on all those matters. If they do make any more changes, Ben, it's obviously going to come now or in the coming months or two, month or two, as they typically wait, teams typically wait till after the draft to yep. make scouting changes because you don't want to bring in whole new scouts who either weren't doing the groundwork or had done it for another team in a different way in the middle of draft season. So now that that's over, we might see a scout or two leave or come and go as they bring in potentially guys who more align with what they're doing. If they don't, it would lead us to believe or lead me to believe anyway that they think they can get everybody, uh, as PJ Fleck would say, rowing in the same direction. Um, uh, do we have any more questions that we want to get to before we let everybody go? Uh, just very quickly, and this is more of a procedural thing, but uh, Heavy Dirty Skull asked, uh, what's the status with the Alvin Cook lawsuit? Wasn't the trial supposed to be heard in March? Just very briefly on that. <clears throat> there are, I believe, two trial dates set for 2023 now. At least the, I looked at the court files the other day. I think Dalvin Cook's accuser, uh, that trial actually is slated for March of 2023 in Dakota County, uh, where Dalvin Cook is the defendant, I should say. The, the, the trial where Dalvin Cook is um, suing his accuser for defamation is slated for Hennepin County in February. So that trial actually is slated to go to court before the original lawsuit that started all of this. Um, that is scheduled to be heard in Dakota County, like I said, in March of 2023. Will any of these things actually go to trial? Um, I don't know. I would be a little bit surprised if they did. There's been a lot of legal wrangling and there's a lot in the court files this is all public records you can go look this up for yourselves if you're so interested to do it but um yeah i you know these things probably largely end up getting settled outside of court but we are still a ways from any of that seeing the courts if it will ever see the courts so what that means for dalvin cook in 2022 is while this is still making its way very very slowly which is not a surprise through the legal system, the NFL probably won't get involved with anything disciplinary until or unless there's a resolution to it. So I would tend to think it means that Dalvin Cook's availability for 2022 won't be affected. So um, just as a procedural thing, I, the question about that, I think it was worth, uh, worth you know, pointing that out. That's, that's what I've seen as I looked at the court files a couple of days ago. Absolutely. And on that note, we will bid you guys adieu and maybe talk next week as the Vikings continue with their OTAs. Please check startribune.com for all of our coverage and all of our podcasts about Minnesota sports.